they, their interests change. They move on. They go to the next thing. We aren't playing any Malifaux right now. I would love to. I've set it up half a dozen times since we got locked in. And the, Eli has uh, humored me with uh, two turns of Henchman Hardcore. The <laughs> other two just walk away. Howdy, friends. Craig here. We talked to two Malifaux players who are also parents of kids who play Malifaux and other tabletop games. We talk about how they introduce the game to their kids, ways that they approach to slowly teach the games, how they adjusted as the interests of their kids changed. We talk about some of their success stories, some of their mistakes. We talk about some of the skill sets that kids can pick up by gaming. Last but not least, I actually get a chance to talk to the kids to learn from their perspective what it's like to have parents who play games. Enjoy! Playing games tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to talk to two parents who have shared their hobby and have hobby playing kids. And I want to learn kind of how that happened and how they passed it down. So my guests today are Keith Suderman and Sarah Ann LaHaye. Now, Sarah, Sarah Ann comes out of Canada, and her and I have been t- chatting on Facebook, um, talking about uh, maybe incorporating some of the borderland Canadian players in the USFT, and she's been uh, a big part in building the Malifaux community in her er- uh, area, and her and her husband have a really nice blog that focuses on all, uh, on, the, on hobbying and gaming in general. I'll have a link to it in the show notes, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, I've been reading it over the last couple days, and uh, there's some good stuff in there. So, Sarah Ann, welcome to the third floor. Thank you very much, Craig. I'm really excited to be here. So, Sarah Ann, I'd be curious, how did you end up finding tabletop gaming? Well, um, back around uh, my 16th birthday, a bunch of friends of mine had given me um, some gift, gift certificates to a local game store. Um, I was a really big Lord of the Rings nerd at the time, but had no knowledge of any other aspect of the hobby. So they uh, thought I'd really like to get the uh, playing card games for Lord of the Rings. And that was kind of the uh, the gateway that got into it. Um, walked into that store and on a bunch of levels, it totally, you know, <laughs> took over my life and uh, changed things for me. Um, one of the things that uh, really is kind of a, a crazy part of it was that uh, game store was actually owned by my now husband. So that was how we met I also. I ask <laughs> so, about how that yeah, came together. <laughs> yeah, so that, so really, we've, we've been a family of gamers right from the start and gone from there, so... So you were 16 when you first went to the game store and you kind of first exposed to it. And you said you were a Lord of the Rings nerd. Now, how did that happen? So how did you do? Was it through the books, through the movies, a combination? So actually, I hate to admit it, but it was through the movies, Um, read all the books after and then and then some. I actually used to work at uh, one of the movie theaters down in Toronto. Um, and as our big Christmas party, we got to see the first Lord of the Rings movie two weeks before release, which wow. at the time I thought, okay, this looks interesting and just blew my mind. And yeah, that was, uh, 
that's a pretty cool bragging rights that I got to see it before most people going forward. And that just cemented my, uh, my love of all things fantasy and sci-fi and nerd and geek. No kidding. So really, at that point, you had really, before then, you were not a fantasy reader or a science fiction person. That was really kind of the, the first time you got into it? or Yeah, I mean, it was always in the background. I With my parents, they were uh, definitely more on that fantasy bent. My dad was a like, old school token reader, but it never, for some reason, popped up in my own childhood. I have no idea now how right. that happened. Even my dad to this day is like, how did we miss the boat on that one? Especially, you know, considering now being the uh, giant geek that I am. But yeah, so it was kind of interesting how that worked out. And then you mentioned that your husband-to-be, he ran the game store. And uh, now you, uh, I will, well, I shouldn't assume anything. I, I mean, I assume that there was a, a gap between you coming there as a 16-year-old and you guys dating. <laughs> um, how did that yes, come together yes, where you guys absolutely. ended up... Uh, <laughs> ended up, uh, you know, discovering each other. So it was um, frequented the store quite a bit uh, with friends of mine, and then uh, really to complicate things, then he ended up hiring me. Well, not him. One of his business partners actually ended up hiring <laughs> me. So I did work in the store. So it, you know, and we uh, worked alongside each other for uh, quite a few years before we uh, decided to kind of go the relationship side. But yeah, it was That's so cool. again. It's, you know, it's in our, our family's DNA for sure, and it's something that... It really is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> very, you know, very makes, cool. Makes for a good story. It's uh, a little bit of a hard to believe when I look back, but at the same time, you know, it, things happen, I think, for a reason. So it. That's neat. That's really, really neat. So my second guest, Keith. Now, Keith, technically, you've heard his voice on the show before. Keith is one of our patrons, and he was kind enough to record one of the bumpers. And you've probably heard me talk about his kids before. Uh, his sons um, have actually also been on the show uh, via those bumpers as well. So, uh, Keith, welcome to the third floor. Hey, thanks, Craig. It's good to be here. So, Keith, how about you? How did you end up uh, nerding out and finding tabletop gaming? So I was maybe 13, 14 years old. It was the early 80s, and the uh, the pastor's kid at my little Mennonite church came to me, and his aunt had just given him a game, and it just had books, no no board. And he says, I don't know how to play this. Can you Can you help me? And we sat there in the basement. We paged through that thing, and we finally figured out. It was called Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> and we figured this thing out. It took a lot of effort. But uh, once we got it figured out, it was it was what we did. Um, it was so awesome, and we 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 met every night after school, and we we leveled up our characters, and we, yeah. went, we uh, cleared dungeons. It's beautiful. It's funny. I uh, now I'm going to age myself and date you as well at the same time, Keith, because you and I are roughly about the same age, and. Um, you know, I went through the same process. I was probably 14, 15, a little bit older than you when I discovered the Red Box Dungeon and Dragons and, you know, so different. I mean, the only thing that, you know, was out there for gaming was, you know, sorry and game of life and, you know, Monopoly and stuff. And you come across this thing and, and you did. You had to sit down there and look at it and just kind of figure out what the heck is going on here. And, and, the and there was there was no one to help you. No one else had done no, it. No, there was no internet, no YouTube, no podcasts. If, <laughs> if anybody had heard of it, it was from the Chick Tracks. I don't know yeah. if you remember those. When they I do. It was, it was from the devil. Yeah. And in fact, my my dad came and played with us one night. 
I still have his character somewhere on a three by five card. No kidding. And we, uh, we played and he, uh, he says, thanks very much. He went upstairs and said, nope, that's not from the devil. It'll turn him into a big geek, but uh, <laughs> not worried about that. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, so how did that, the, the Dungeon of Dragons, how did it progress? And how did you move from there to tabletop gaming? Well, we played a lot of different games back then as, uh, as they appeared in the later in the 80s, Top Secret and Moro Project and, and whatever we, we could get our hands on, Star Frontiers. Yeah. Um, they were all awesome. Anything we could find. Car Wars, you know, these were oh, fantastic. God, car Wars. <laughs> oh, I have built so many cars in Car Wars. It, it, <laughs> and, they, and, and they had the little cardboard chits for the uh, for the cars. And you oh, God, you, and you could customize like the left oh, wheel, yeah. the back bumper. And <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> we're old, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Embrace it. So. Moving forward into into high school, into college, kept playing, but it was it was less and less because other things. I mean, we found girls, you yeah. know, we uh, and we and cars, and and so we strayed away from from our one true love. And we, uh, but uh, but in grad school, towards the end of grad school, one of my buddies, um, we actually I met him um, sitting in a in a parking lot. We were reading the the first book of Dead. Uh, Deadlands. Mm-hmm. And he walks by, walking his dog, walks by again. Finally, he sits down next to me and says, can I see that? <laughs> so, uh, but but a few weeks later, he says, there's a thing you need to see. And uh, I went over to his house and he had Necromunda set up. Nice. And we had one set of minis. We had to make cardboard stand-ups for the other other gang. And we played every day. And I was skipping grad school to play Necromunda. <laughs> So did you did you get your degree? I I did. Okay, I, did. I made it. <laughs> um, my uh, my wife actually came to me the uh, the a few months before the uh, the wedding, and she says, "Okay, I'm going to marry a doctor in October. It can be you if you defend." <laughs> That's it's great. time. <laughs> so. That's great. So, Sarian, um, let's get started. What I want to talk about is first, uh, can you introduce me uh, virtually to your uh, three boys? For sure. So I have, uh, like you said, three boys. Um, my eldest, uh, Lucian, is uh, almost 13 now. I can't believe it. I've got uh, yeah. a 10-year-old, Marcus, who will be joining us uh, later on. And then I've got Alexander, who is uh, just turned seven. And yeah, there, it's funny because I found that within the hobby, it's really brought out different personalities, what they're interested in, couldn't be further from one another. And it's really shown just another dimension to who they are as little people. And, you know, I'm curious to see how that's going to develop over time as well. Now you mentioned that Marcus will be on the last segment. Um, Do you consider Marcus kind of the one who is the most interested in the hobby or all three of them? I think I'm a little biased because he's the one who has taken to the same, you know, games within the hobby that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, my eldest was much more interested in Magic the Gathering, which is a game that my husband's really passionate about. I can play mm-hmm. it. I don't really have much of a, a, an interest in it beyond the family um, pre-release, you know, events and things like that. Whereas Marcus, he's my my painter. He is the one that has been playing uh, Malifaux with me. He actually, are the very first um, USFO tour that we did here in Ontario, he was at that tournament and had a, an absolute blast. That's great. 
So he, he is most like me so far with what he enjoys within the hobby and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um, so Magic the Gathering, um, I, you mentioned that you know, obviously your husband and your you know, oldest son there, they like that. Um, I would assume um, financially you guys can't afford to have more than two people playing that game. Because <laughs> I, lo- I love Magic the Gathering, but... Definitely for my, my husband, he, uh, he's he got a very good analytic mind. and He's actually been finding ways to make the, the hobby as kind of self-sufficient as possible. So he's been able to really kind of him. push our dollar and stretch it as much as he can within that, allowing him to, you know, keep you know, building on sets. He's much more interested in standard than he is modern or things like that. And I mean, our eldest just kind of goes along for the ride. He plays whatever daddy builds him and (laughs) goes from there. And yeah. And again, this is, I guess we're going to have to rename this episode. Craig's an old man because uh, I'm going to date myself again. (laughs) Um, So I was part of the alpha testing for magic to gather. That's how old I am. Oh, jealous. And, and, uh, (laughs) That your 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 husband will get a kick out of this. I bought my first computer in college by selling a full set of alphas. Oh my goodness! Um, and <laughs> yeah, back then there was no eBay or anything, so it was yep. all Bolton boards, and I sold it on Bolton boards for over three thousand dollars, which was a oh lot gosh. of money back then. <laughs> yep. Um, but it was a complete set of alphas, and then later I ended up putting together a complete set of betas. And uh, sold those off. And then um, I've always loved Magic. And I don't play. I haven't played actively in 25 some odd years. But it, I mean, I remember the first time I played Magic, I knew like this was a big deal, right? There was nothing ever, ever like it before. And the first time I played it, I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And this is amazing. Oh, absolutely. What I never would have predicted is that it's, I mean, it's been around. It's coming on 30 years now, I think, that it's been around. And it's Bigger now than it's ever been. Um, it's something else. A testament to the game, I'll tell you. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so, Keith, virtually introduce me to your three boys. So, three boys, uh, twin thirteen-year-olds, um, and uh, and a single eight-year-old. They all play soccer. They're um, doing pretty well in school. They uh, ride their bikes with me once in a while, not as much as I want them to. You know, the the other big hobby I have, and they're uh, they're okay with it. Um, and they uh, they started in on on board gaming with us when they were small. The the thirteen year olds, I I don't know what age they were. They were playing the memory and uh, and uh, Parcheesi, maybe simple roll and move sorts of games and mm-hmm. we introduced them actually to kids of carcassonne that is a a great game for kids it's flip a tile put it down score a point or two right and and you can control the length of the game by how many cards you leave in the game mm-hmm. which is great for these kids and then we ease them up into regular carcassonne and and the uh the eight-year-old um was earlier than that. He kind of just came along for the ride, though, because it was constant exposure to it. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, um, in talking with both of you, that there wasn't really this, this monumental moment where you had a certain birthday where you presented them with things in the hobby and said, you know, welcome to the hobby. It sounds like in all cases, in both of your cases, they eased into it. They showed some interest and they kind of grew into it. So Keith, among the three boys, um, who who actually is most involved in actual miniature gaming? 
in miniature gaming at the moment is the eight year old. Oh, no kidding. um, He, um, he had a brief moment of fame last year when uh, he attended his first Malifaux tournament at age seven. They made him the ringer. I uh, purposely (laughs) asked them to, to not put him head to head with the, uh, with anybody because we don't need them running up their differential on my kid. Sure. But, uh, but they made him the ringer and he actually won one of those games. I never got a chance to ask that guy if he had uh, given it to him or not, but uh, he loved it. And he was playing the uh, tournament organizer in one of the games. And the TO says, this guy's going to take focus. And Eli looks at him and he says, you don't take focus. You, you concentrate to gain focus. <laughs> and when I heard that, I laughed. I thought that was the best. <laughs> I do have to uh, emphasize to my kids that it is awesome when they do that if they're polite in front Correct. of them and behind those statements. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, um, so Sarian, for Marcus, um, like, so how did his path diverge, right? So your husband's, you know, concentrated on um, – Magic the Gathering, obviously his older brother is as well. How did he wander into, you know, following your interest in actual miniature gaming? Well, at our our local game store, I would run um, with a a couple of the owners there. We would do paint jams, and every time we would have a paint jam, I'd open up, you know, to all three of the boys and say, would you like to pick a model? Generally, it was, you know, their lovely, vast wall of D&D miniatures, which are nice and inexpensive. So it's like, go, you know, pick your poison. Which one would you like to? And he was really the only one consistently out of the three of them that was interested in it. Usually, you know, my eldest wanted to go play video games with the, uh, the other kids in the back of the room. And so that kind of developed where when he was painting enough and had kind of a little mini army put together, I believe it was last Christmas or the Christmas before he said, mom, I'd like some, you know, miniatures for Christmas. And that was, that was it. I kind of went, yay. And yeah, yeah then <laughs> I'm thinking maybe he might not have wanted to do that because then we kind of went a little bit overboard and that was just, you know, getting him his uh, first set of Bayou for Malifaux. He's got some blood angels oh. and yeah, it was, it's a lot of fun. Now. So it, it was kind of the painting that kind of pointed him in that direction. I mean, is was that just a, um, a situation where, you know, it was, it was spending time with mom? Or did you think he has uh, some artistic inclinations that drew him to that? I think at this point, it was more just, like you said, it, it's being able to spend some time with me. We've got him, his own little paint yep. station set up in our craft room. And then I, I could be wrong, but I think that now he definitely still enjoys the painting aspect. But I think it's the playing that is really what's keeping him interested in it. He, uh, he, any opportunity he gets to actually go and play a game, he will. Whereas for me, I'm still, you know, given the choice between painting or playing, I will always go the painting route. That's just, and I, I think that will yeah. always be the case for me. But with him, you know, he's he enjoys it. Even when he's, well, most of the time it's only over uh, with other adults because we don't really have a lot of um, other children his age that uh, play the same games and that sort of thing. And he still, mm-hmm. he absolutely loves it. That's great. That's great. So how about for Marcus, Keith? Is um, Now, if, if, if memory serves, you and know, I've talked before, all three of the boys have played miniature games before, right? Have, have played around with Malifaux? No, absolutely. And um, the uh, my, my eldest, eldest by one minute, named Noah, he actually has brought home trophies and, and plaques from tournaments. I, wow. Um, yeah, somewhere around here is a second place trophy, which uh, I covet. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
he has he has consistently placed better than I have. He uh, brings in the the dreamer with the wall of stitched, and <laughs> and there you go. Sure. <laughs> and after he finished painting his third stitch together, he has put down the brush. He won't uh, won't pick it up again. He's done. That's got it. That's the end of his hobby. Yeah. He'll he'll play you though. He'll, yeah. Um, and. Um, and Jacob has also played. Jacob, uh, the first tournament they attended, they were uh, age nine. Don McCormick was running it. And uh, she did a very nice thing. The first night, we, we did a henchman hardcore tournament, and Jacob got the wooden spoon. But instead of a spoon, he got a brand new deck. Oh, nice. Throw away your old deck. This one has some luck That's in a it. great. Don's the best. Yeah, Absolutely. In fact, she was the one who gave Noah the stitch together for that Christmas. So, uh, well, that's cool. I, I have her to thank for all of those <laughs> battles. So, I, I didn't realize that we had Dawn in common. I didn't realize that you knew Dawn. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. She's a uh, she's a great part of the hobby. Yeah, no question. I, I miss her. I, she's uh, she's not been nearly as involved as she used to be. Um, but uh, she was the henchman when I found Malifo. Um, oh, there we that, go. And she was a big part of what grew what is now a very healthy community here in the you know Central North Carolina area. Um, so, guys, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk a little bit more with Keith and Sarah about um, h- how do you teach children who show an interest in this hobby? And what are some effective ways to kind of set the hook and, and you know, get them to where that they can enjoy it right out of the gate and then potentially be able to grow into the game as well. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So now that we kind of got an idea of, you know, you know how each of these um, parents kind of, you know, allowed or were there when their kids kind of grew into the hobby, um, I want to learn a little bit more about how they um, kind of taught these kids. Um, so, Sarah, can you give me an idea, um, you know, how did you approach teaching something really as complicated? Let's let's focus on Malifaux. How do you teach something as complicated as Malifaux uh, to somebody who's young and, you know, new to it? Number one, uh, I think, is just to remain flexible. You've got to, you know, gauge the the interest level of the child more than anything else age-related. I think it's, you know, their maturity. And for us, what has worked really well is just to, you know, kind of let the children lead the uh, the introduction to it. They're innately curious. Play upon that. And, you know, if you introduce the game in a way that they're the ones asking the questions 
you'll have a much better response, or at least I've found that you're going to hold their interest a lot longer. They're more likely to want to continue learning a particular game if you're letting them kind of guide it. So from Alifo, for example, with Marcus, it started out just saying, you know, let's work on movement. And I waited till he was at the point where he's like, okay, I'm bored with just learning how to move around the board. How do I shoot that guy? Or how do I, and just kind of picking up on their cues, which realistically is the same with any new player, really. I think you can't, uh, can't dumb it down too much to children, but. Yeah, so I, I like the concepts here and that you mentioned there of um, letting them get to the point where they're asking the questions. And I'd like to flesh that out a little bit more. So is that a situation where you would present a concept <clears throat> and give enough for them to get started and then allow them to push you to kind of let you know when is the next thing to show them? Yeah, that's almost exactly how it worked with Marcus. He, um, I think one of my biggest perhaps challenges was I constantly found I was underestimating kind of how much he was picking up and how quickly he was picking the game up. I, you know, kept trying to, you know, hold the the conversation back or hold the instruction back. Whereas he was like, well, no mom, we've got this. Let's, let's move on to the next one. I want to <laughs> learn how to, you know, do focus. I want to learn how to make my gremlins shoot you even better. And it, I think once I realized, okay, let them set the pace and then kind of follow it was much easier to kind of get into a really good routine and that will follow through with whatever age, you know, or maturity level of the child that you're dealing with. Yeah. My youngest totally doesn't work the same way. I have to kind of like really be because he's, you know, a million places at once and his mind isn't focusing. So it's, it kind of allows you to adapt based on how the kids want to, you know, progress with their, their learning and that sort of thing. How about for you, Keith, is your experience similar or? It's so similar. It's um, I have very little to add. the uh, The need for flexibility is incredible. Um, the best way to teach we start out with a very bare bones style. Um, we've just had a couple of friends join us for some Malifo. We uh, um, other thirteen year olds join us, and we'll host little uh, you know six person tournaments in the basement. Uh, henchman hardcore, nothing, nothing big, <laughs> and and. These kids, you start out by giving them just this much. Here's how you flip a card. This is a duel. This is, mm-hmm. uh, and and then they're they're like, well, tell me what's this? What did you just do? <laughs> gotcha. And and we we actually we um, talk about the, those transitions of with with the kids. You know, do you think Ayush is ready for this? Do you do you think Will is ready for this? Do you think? Um, and we. You know, they, they start out and somebody has to teach them, tell them, here's how you move. You can move this far. This is what you can do. Then they start doing that. Then they get to the point where they're, they're independently playing. They're able right. to, to actually play the, all the rules, all the rules without somebody t- telling them each turn. And then beyond that, they start to develop a tactical feel yep. and, and, and then they pass me up. And uh, <laughs> so I'd be curious, Keith. Now, Sarah Ann kind of talked about how, you know, one kid is not the same as the other kid. Um, and especially you with twins having boys of, you know, obviously very similar age. They're twins. Um, how different was it for them? Not necessarily with Malifaux, but, you know, I know that they're into role playing and stuff like that. How different are the twins as far as how they approach or learn these games? So, yeah, this is where they've really become different in the last... We've been playing uh, Pathfinder 
um, for the last, I guess, three years, but it really hasn't taken off until six or eight months ago. Suddenly they, they wanted to play. They were like, yeah. let's do this. And, and now Noah is focused on building the most effective combat monster he can find. Checking this, looking at that. What feet tree do we go down? Mm-hmm. Jacob, uh, oh, so I should say <laughs> that I, I play support characters when, when we play these games. I was GMing for a while about six months ago. Jacob says, can I try it? That's great. And and if I'm GMing, Jacob's playing a support character. He's played a bunch of bards, um, which I never thought a kid would do. Yeah. Um, when when he's GMing, I'm playing the the elder in the uh, in the tribe, or or a, or a cleric, or a bard, or whatever. And Jacob is much more um, uh, much more excited about the the story and the and and that aspect of it, whereas Noah is absolutely excited about the mechanics. So I, you know, I'll have long talks about damage per round with Noah and Jacob just zones out, walks away. So it sounds like as a father, what you've had to do is adjust your approach, right? So depending on where the interests lie and where the spark is, you kind of, you kind of build that up and work off of that. And never forget which one you're talking to, because man, I cross those streams all the time. And and the kid I'm with just looks at me and it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I've got just one six-year-old daughter and I forget her name. So I can't imagine <laughs> having twins and remembering who I'm talking to either way. Um, so, Sarianne, you, you, you hinted this a little bit, but I want to dive into it a little bit more. Um, how do you How do you negotiate um, the challenge of simplifying things but not oversimplifying things is it just a matter of listening to the to the kid and and letting them push you or did you find yourself in situations where you said i think that you know he's ready for this so i'm going to kind of load this on for the next you know time we sit down i think it was a little bit of trial and error i think when particularly coming back to malifaux i was fortunate enough that i was learning the uh, the game not that much further in advance than Marcus. I've only actually been in the, the game for, oh gosh, I want to say it's almost coming up on two years now. Yeah, I think it's been two years. So for me, it was kind of a unique, uh, not challenge, but opportunity to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm still learning the kinks of this game. I'm still learning a bit of the mechanics. Introducing it to Marcus and having him you know, either get it, which more times than not, you know, get it to cut him on the first go. And then he's pointing out what I'm doing wrong, which is always a nice, (laughs) always a fun thing. Absolutely. But, you know, I I think at the the end of the day, they, they gauge their, uh, their interest and their, um, how much they're able to absorb. If the, if it's something that they're enjoying and if it's something that you're really passionate about, I think that's the big, the big thing that I've taken away is that, it doesn't really matter how much time you have to spend on the instruction side of it. If it's something that you are genuinely excited to share with them, even if it's a game that they are going to do because it's, you know, something fun to do with mom and dad, but then not really want to pursue it on their own time. If it's something that you're really passionate and really excited about, then they're going to feed off of that. And it's going to be just that much more engaging for them. They're going to end up absorbing and taking away a lot more of these 
let's be honest, like more difficult concepts, a lot of them, especially when we're talking about children around, you know, the ages of our boys, that it just, it, it kind of sinks in and then it stops being like they're being instructed to and more just, well, we're playing a game and, you know, here's the kinks and working it out that way. How about for you, Keith? Again, never underestimate those children. It's, yeah. it's amazing what they know. I got home from work one, one day last year and Eli met me at the door and he's holding the, uh, the copy of the Malifaux rules, which my other kids never picked up. Sure. And, and he says, dad, I think you might be cheating. <laughs> and I, I, I said, well, what? <laughs> and, and he says, you have a seven card hand. And it says right here, you only get six. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not cheating. I just have Arcane Reservoir. Right, right. You, no, t- you are cheating. You're playing Arcanist, but I, I know what you mean, Keith. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm playing, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing Neverborn Lucius. So, uh, oh, okay, all right, all right. I'll give but, you a pass. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Eli was playing Hoffman, and, yeah. and he was playing Red Hoffman at the time. And he says, how do I get a seven-card hand? That's awesome. And that's how he switched over to playing Dirty Arcanists. And I, I do like that he phrased it not, uh, Dad, I think you got this wrong. It was Dad, you're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have some very direct kids. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk to uh, both uh, Keith and Sarianne, not about themselves as well as their kids. And I want to talk about how some of the things that we learn growing up with tabletop gaming, growing into tabletop gaming, and sharing tabletop gaming with others, what are some skills that kind of translate outside of gaming? So We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code Third Floor Friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So, one thing that, um, I think about a lot and I really, especially now that I've been a parent for, you know, six years is I find myself, um, realizing that there's, there's certain things that I learned, you know, when we're, we were talking earlier about, you know, playing D and D at 13 years old and, you know, being a gamer for as many years as I have, there's things that I either 
learned through gaming, growing up in gaming, or were nurtured, uh, maybe they were always there and were nurtured by gaming over these years, that I apply to my you know adult life, both in my adult relationships as well as my professional life. So Keith, I'd be interested, first of you as a parent, do you find yourself um, looking back or looking at your current gaming and going, you know, these are things that I use uh, outside of gaming that really either I learned from gaming or I nurtured from gaming? That's that's an interesting question, and it's kind of a hard one to separate out because gaming's been with me for a lot of decades. Uh, yeah. But uh, but that that ability to cooperate and the ability to to organize things. I mean, these are you know we we go to leadership training class and they teach us all these things, but it's really just role playing. It's yeah. just going through here's how would you face this situation how would you come up with a creative solution how would you organize these people to to enact that creative solution how would you know when you were done and and these are just simple this is just D. this is yeah yeah you know it's funny um one of the things that uh, when you know have allowed me to be um employable is my uh problem solving skills it's something that's you know, has been brought to me a few times as a quality that I bring to whatever company I'm working for. And I look back on it and I'm not, I don't necessarily think that gaming taught me how to problem solve, but I can tell you I'm a better problem solver because of gaming. Uh, I would be curious to know, Keith, now looking at your sons and they're involving in different types of gamings, are there skills that you either think are being nurtured by gaming or do you think that they're discovering about themselves through gaming? We know that this is good for math. I mean, yeah. all of my kids are are they just do math fluently because it's you have to to get each thing done. Yep. Um, so that's important. I I push them towards writing just a little bit. I I take you know I write journal entries after our games and I force them force them believe me to go in there and make at least one line edit. Good. That's all I ask for them. But I think that's important: is learn to read someone else's work and fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I think there's a big part of this that's learning to talk to grownups as peers, being able to meet with a grownup on on a level playing field, and and have a conversation with them. I see this. I, I'm more aware of it with their friends who are talking to me, and they'll be running a game, and so they'll say, "Keith, what does your character do?" And they're just talking to me. It's yeah. not. It's not insulting. It's not uh, impolite. It's just this is the game. I'm the GM. Well, it's the you're right the context, player. right? Yeah, exactly. You might in other contexts you're Mr. Suderman, but in this context you're Keith the player. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. How about now, Sarah? And you're a little bit different because you're not ancient uh, like <laughs> well, Keith I and I you. are, uh, <laughs> and you. Um, and relatively speaking, or you know, are new to it, just like your kids are. So. Um, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit for you. Are, are there skills that that found a home in gaming for you? So things that you liked that, you know, you said, boy, this I, I can really flex these muscles in gaming. Or are there things that you didn't realize that you liked until you started gaming? To be perfectly honest, I think, I mean, the the most obvious things are the idea of like sportsmanship and problem solving and and just empathy in general. When you're playing with, Empathy's it's big. huge. When you're playing with other people, you have to be able to read: Are they having fun? Are they having a good time? Yep. Are are they even understanding? You know what's going on in this group. But 
the the big thing that was kind of an, an unconscious thought, and it was only put into words actually with uh, a good friend of mine, Kim, who owns the uh, the game store that we frequent. Her big thing is, you know, this idea of being able to play and to continue to play as an adult and how that's a really important thing from a psychological point of view, from a, you know, mental health point of view, being able to have that ability to play as an adult, to flex these, you know, imaginative and creative muscles that in most other circumstances, you'd be either looked down on or people just think, you're weird or, or that sort of thing. And being able yep. to have that freedom, I think for me as an individual, and then being able to pass that along to my children and say, look, it is totally okay to, you know, pretend that you are some fantastical creature and go through this, this game. And at the end of it, look back and say, okay, well, what did I pick up? And how is that going to relate into, you know, the quote unquote real world? And I think that's, that's a huge, maybe even within the hobby, a very under, I don't know even how, like, I think it's something that innately we all acknowledge. We just might not be able to put it into words 100% of the time, so. I could not agree more. Um, I think the concept of unstructured play for kids is 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 something that it seems to be lost a little bit um, in the, you know, and, and I, my wife and I pull on this because, you know, my wife grew up, um, very much in a in a structured environment. So uh, she, you know, she had piano lessons. She had soccer. She had, you know, this lesson, that lesson, that activity. And you know, it, it was it, it. She was she was, uh, for lack of a better word, her parents booked her. Right? She was booked for these activities, and it worked. I mean, she's a phenomenal human being. Right? <laughs> Whereas my family, it was far more unstructured. Uh, there was four of us, um, and I was the oldest. And, you know, my mom, my dad worked all the time. My mom could only do so much with four of us idiots running around. So <clears throat> there was a lot of us, you know, go, go keep yourself busy, right? Go, go play. And we didn't have video games and stuff to do that with. And it was a lot of unstructured play. And I look back on that unstructured time, you know, as being where I nurtured and found my creativity, um, the ability to entertain myself um, as opposed to being stim- having to be stimulated all the time. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. And I, and I agree that as adults, um, not everybody, but a lot of us need it. I know I need it. I know that um, that ability to flex into that creativity, into that play is part of how I recharge my batteries um, and do that. So when you look at it, you know, with the kids, um, do you see, what are the key skills? So we, we talked about math. I think uh, the reading is a big thing. Um, uh, the problem solving. Um, are there aspects for your kids where you think that they have, and especially it's kind of neat because they are into different parts of the hobby. Um, what, what is, what is, what is gaming allowing them to tap into? Um, and I'd be curious actually about your son that's playing magic, the gathering. What do you think magic, the gathering has done for him? I think it's been able to uh, have him flex kind of the skills that he's good at in a a different environment. You know, he's very strong from a math um, point of view, Um, not so much, you know, the reading and writing, but the critical thinking and the problem solving. And at school, there's only so many finite ways that you can kind of push that and explore it. And with a game like Magic the Gathering, Again, being that he's being pitted up against, you know, mostly just adults, 
it's giving him an opportunity to really kind of push himself and those skills in a way that's unique and challenging and, you know, so many different avenues that he can go in without even realizing that he's using those base, you know, mathematical skills, those um, problem solving skills. He's just, he's playing a game. So I think it's, it's really allowed him to develop that skill set in a way that's not that structured, as you mentioned, you know, the structured school, you know, um, curriculum type of uh, exploration. Mm -hmm. So I'd be curious, Aaron, have you had a situation because, you know, Magic the Gathering, it is, uh, you get a chance to play a lot of different people. Have you had <clears throat> come across a situation where your son has played against somebody that um, maybe was a difficult person to play against? And I don't mean difficult as in they were really good, but have you had um, conversations you've had to had because they had a a challenging human being on the other side? And and I would imagine, especially if it was an adult, um, you know, they had to deal with source, you know, you know, bad sportsmanship or you know. Uh, just a, not a nice person. Have you had, has that come up? Uh, unfortunately, yes, it has. Um, back when he was really, he kind of peaked, you know, as far as interest. Now he'll still play, but he's not as interested. But he was probably, I want to say around 11, where he really got into it and actually ended up doing well enough that he was winning, winning night or uh, FMs. He was winning, um, not game stay, but uh, pre-releases, things like that. Right. And, he, he did have uh, at least one instance that I can think of where there was a bit of a sore loser on the other end. And I think that was compounded by the fact that they've lost to a small child. Mm-hmm. Amen and, to that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's something that, I mean, we were very open in our house as far as having kind of those more difficult conversations. And it was a conversation that my husband and I had to have of just, you know what? There are some people that just don't understand how to interact in a respectful way. There are people that are just not going to be nice. And it was, again, children are really accepting. So when it was actually explained, you know, he was a little upset. And I'm sure there's been other times too, where he's had, you know, someone that either was not playing purely by the rules or someone that just was not a a great, um, you know, partner to have across the table. And it's just a matter of talking it through them and making them realize that, unfortunately, that is a reality. That's that's part of life. That's part of any time you're going to have interpersonal relationships and how to kind of overcome that. You know, yes, it's it sucks and you feel really bad. But what did you learn from it and how not to act yourself when you're, you know, in a similar situation, when you're feeling like you're losing and you want to go on that bent of being a sore loser. Well, remember how it felt to be on the other side of that? I was about to say, what what an amazing empathy lesson that must have been. We had a similar thing at the end of a tournament, the whole ride home. One of my kids was just like, dad, that second guy I played, he was so mean. I don't know what I did, but he was so mean. I found out later that the TO had had to ask this guy to leave because he'd blown up at the next guy. No kidding. But uh, my, my kid, you know, I'm trying to talk him back through this. It's not on you. You played polite. You played well. You weren't cheating. I don't know what was wrong, but that's a, that's a hard lesson. That's hard for adults. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking about it. And one of the things that, you know, is very important to me with my daughter is I want her to have respect for people 
in authority. I want her to be respectful to her teachers. I want her to be respectful to her friends' parents and to, you know, people of, you know, people that are older than her. But <laughs> I also want her to be able to identify when that stops, right? And be able to say, well, this is not a situation where I'm going to just do what the adult says, or this is not a situation where the adult ad- adult is is exhibiting behavior um, that I should be mimicking. I hadn't thought about it until we were having this conversation where that, I mean, because the hobby has a huge range of ages that they come through, in some ways you're not thrusting is the wrong word, but these kids are now interacting with adults in a different way than they normally do. So um, what is there, so I'm hearing these stories, right? And I think about your husband, if I was watching a jerk play my daughter at a game of magic, the gathering, it would take a lot. I think I could do it. It would take a lot for me to allow her to handle it up to a point before I would get involved. Um, it, I mean, I'm not even sure what the question is here, but you know, and same thing with you, Keith, when you find out that a guy was a jerk to your son, um, and this happens outside of gaming too, when you hear about somebody who's mean to your kid in school. Um, but in, in the context of that, I mean, it doesn't sound like you've been in that situation, but I'd be curious as parenting advice for a new parent. Um, how do you figure that out, Sarian? How do you figure out where um, you kind of let them learn and 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 handle that or you say you know what this is this is a kid and adult interacting and i need to get involved well within the context of you know that that event in a game store a lot of hovering goes on you know it's having making yourself as the parent making your presence known without automatically or without being very um you know sticking yourself into it so you're, you're giving the kids an opportunity to sort through it and to be perfectly honest, a lot of the time, really all that you can do is just kill them with kindness, smile, kind of grin and bear it through it. And I don't know that we've ever actually had to step in. And I, I could be wrong. I, I can't speak for my husband. But I don't think there's ever been a time where we've actually had to step in right. and kind of assert ourselves as the parent. But I know for sure there's been a lot of times where, you know, you just you stand next to them or sit next to them and just watch how the game is going kind of as a spectator. Mm-hmm. But you're giving them that moral support of knowing, okay, mom's there. But as a kid too, I know I wouldn't appreciate if my parent was always, you know, piping up or, or giving, you know, yep. some sort of input, right? So it's that I know that mom and dad are there, but not having to deal with them constantly interfering in the game that you're playing in. The other thing I've seen though is that the uh, the other the rest of the community gathers round. They'll support the kid. Yes. They, um, absolutely you know they'll tap their buddy on the arm and say chill yeah, um, yeah or you know maybe that's too much <laughs> yeah um, or yeah you got beat by a 12 year old but it's that 12 year old yeah no that's a good point that's a good point and um i think that's something that i think we'd all agree on is uh in general, the gaming community is a pretty amazing community. Well, and Malifaux has a phenomenal community. I've, I agree. I've seen so many people welcome me and my kids in. I mean, our first, the first time we played, we'd owned the game for nine days, I think. And yeah. We played three basement games, and we were a mess. And and they held the game for 40 minutes while we got caught in traffic, and we arrived, and we were oh, flustered. Cool. And, and, you know, Don made sure that everything was... Was that that we were settled and then said go, and 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 everyone put up with that, 
and it was extremely welcoming. Uh, the folks over at Gigabytes have been fantastic at saying that's such a great store. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And I, you know, when I first threw out there, hey, I'd like to bring my three young children to a tournament, they they said, why are you even asking? <laughs> Yeah, I said because I have to ask. <laughs> I yeah. don't. I don't want to crash the party with kids. But that's rare. It is, unfortunately, isn't it, Sarah? It is. It, it's. Yeah. It's frustrating how rare that is. It. Um, not every game store is, and I don't want to say kid friendly, but kid welcoming. Yeah, yeah. It's more than just friendly. Yes. It's. It's. They're like, yeah, anytime, you know. And they made sure, you know. Picking Eli as the ringer just to make sure that he was in a in a role that he could enjoy yep. without getting trounced again and again. <laughs> no, I think that's very, very cool. So, guys, I want to take one more break. And when we get back from this break, I want to get – and we've kind of danced around this a little bit. But I want to get into some really some hardcore advice from these guys. Um, so for those of you that are parents out there that um, either um, have some kids that are starting to express um, some interest – um, or maybe uh, a niece or a nephew. Um, I want to kind of learn um, uh, some of the successes, some of the mistakes, um, and see what we can learn. And also talk um, about kind of transitioning when things transition from them playing dad and mom's hobby to them playing their own hobby. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, here on the third floor you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase Markle-compatible, and lighter than neoprene. These mats use a new material that almost eliminates any glare. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. It's going to speed up your deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. Until the end of June 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR620 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR620, that's T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-620, to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. I really wasn't sure when the idea of this uh, episode came together exactly, you know, how things would go. But it, it really this has ended up being what I wanted it to be for us to really kind of learn what's unique about um, the hobby from an, a from a parent adult aspect, as well as learning from a, you know, a, a children's aspect and, and, and just the dynamic of parent child and uh, things like that. So, Sarah, I, I want to start with you. Um you look back on, you know, the time that you spent sharing this hobby, you know, with, with your boys, are there, are there things that, um, you learned? So if a new parent came up to you and say, Sarah Ann, what is some good advice? What are some mistakes you made? I should avoid. I, I think the biggest thing kind of twofold on both sides of the coin was on the one hand, it, it's great to have a hobby that you're really excited about and that you want to have your children involved in. But I think it's very, you have to be very careful too to make sure that you're not pushing them into something when they're no longer interested in it. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about my oldest, uh, Lucian in Magic the Gathering. He lived and breathed it for about 18 months. He, you know, that was all he wanted to do. And a, a lot of it was, I think, you know, he was on a bit of a winning streak, which absolutely is going to, you know, affect his, sure. his relationship and how much he enjoys it. 
And when he started losing a bit of interest, there was a point there where, you know, we were still kind of pushing him into, well, you know, why don't you make a deck and come out to this event or, you know, let's see if you can try and win that game, Matt, again. And, and I think for a little bit there, we were pushing too hard. And I think it was for, you know, we enjoyed it. We loved the fact that we were able to go as a hobby and not have him be a passive bystander, but actually be a part of that, that uh, entertainment as well. And I think you need to kind of make sure that at every point you're kind of checking in on, is this fun for the kid? Is this yeah. something that they genuinely are are having enjoyment for? Because it's very easy for us to get completely wrapped up into, you know, our hobbies and we want to be able to, you know, shout from the rooftops how much we love it and, and bring everyone else into the fold. But when it's your kids, especially if they're a little bit younger, you got to make sure you kind of gauge their their enjoyment level and their uh participation in it to make sure that it really is something that they they want to do and that that was a bit of a an eye-opener for us because i i bet (laughs) we got excited i think yeah and i bet it was especially challenging for your husband because that was a truly kindred shared hobby between him and his son right absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, whereas and, and that's something that i'm mindful now this time around with marcus being as involved with the uh the painting and the the malapo which the painting again he's been not as interested in and this time around i can recognize that and just say okay I'll finish up, you know, your Bayou Gremlins for you, which, you know, he kind of left by the wayside. So he mm-hmm. can still go play because that's what enjoys, you know, what enjoyment he gets out of the hobby. So that was kind of a, a big thing to make sure that you wouldn't think to to have to, you know, keep that kind of check amounts. But it, it definitely is important. Keith, how have you navigated that kind of the migrating of migration of interest? Well, it's a work in progress and... uh uh, a lot of mistakes have been made. Uh, the, like Sarah Ann mentions, mistaking your own passion for your child's passion. Yeah. They, they, their interests change. They move on. They go to the next thing. We aren't playing any Malifaux right now. I would love to. I've set it up half a dozen times since we got locked in. And the, Eli has uh, humored me with uh, two turns of Henchman Hardcore. The <laughs> other two just walk away. Yeah. And, and I, I just have to go, okay, okay, stop. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and so, yeah, having that flexibility and, and moving to different, different uh, perspectives on it. What's, what's fun now? Is painting good? Is assembling good? Uh, is it just play that's good? Do do you, you know, what piece of it is exciting to them now? Currently, it's role-playing games. Right. We're going to ride that one out. We'll see what happens three months, six months, two years from now. I don't know. Yep. So I'd be interested, Keith, because in a lot of instances, um, you know, you were actually playing one of your boys when you guys were playing tabletop games, whether it be Malifor or not. Um, any advice there on how to be a, a good parent and opponent at the same time? Um, I'm going to say that I don't believe in throwing games to kids. Yeah. I, I actually, part of why I play so much Lucius is because the kids are playing these massively killy teams, um, Hoffman. Um, so Lucius against Hoffman into reckoning is, right. uh, is is the the game I've played more than anything at all. Um, I pick a, a that's how I handicap it. Mm-hmm. But I don't throw the game. I don't make bad decisions um, purposely. 
I do make bad decisions. Don't get me wrong. Right. <laughs> but, but I set it up. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at, uh, at, uh, spending my minis to get in the way of the other guy. Um, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's the thing I've learned more than anything is how to die well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, uh, Quirkle is one of, uh, one of my favorite, uh, tabletop. I mean, it's just six different shapes with six different yep. colors and pattern matching. Um, it becomes harder if you don't have a full hand of tiles. You start mm-hmm. with six. Well, when somebody wins, they have to turn one down. They only get five the next game and nice. so on. So we handicap that. So if you're winning a lot, it gets you down to three tiles. You can't win with three tiles. Sure, and, sure. And so games like that, we find ways to handicap it to make it hard. And, um, and that way the kid doesn't feel like you're letting them win. And it's a point of pride for the older kids because they're – um, look, I'm handicapped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd be curious, Aaron, ha- I'm sure there has been instances with one or more of your boys did not lose well um, because that is inherently not a skill um, that we are born with. We, it's something we learn how to lose. I'm very good at it if you need any advice. But um, how? Do, how? what are some advice you can give to, and I need this for my daughter because she is a sore loser, how how do you how do you teach that skill that that um to, how to handle a loss and grow from a loss in a, in a gaming context? I think first and foremost, in the aftermath of say said game where they've lost, you need to give them space. Um, I don't know you know how old your daughter is, but even with my almost thirteen year old, when they're in the thick of it, when they've just lost a game. Any kind of words of advice or encouragement or anything that you're <laughs> going to say to try and, you know, get them through it, they're not going to hear you. Yeah. So I, I, I think realistically, they, you know, they're in their head, they're, they're, they're full of emotion at that point. And I think it's just giving them the space to kind of work it through. And then we've, we've had that, that happen quite a bit where you just have to talk them through it and say, look, okay, yes, it, it's crummy what you're feeling and, and validating those feelings as, you know, something genuine and there is nothing wrong to be upset about losing. And then turning it around and say, okay, well, why do you think you lost? What things do you think you could have done differently? And sometimes there won't be anything. Right. There's going to be, you know, umpteen games where it just, it was circumstance, it was luck of the draw, or there would have been a reason, but they just, they're not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. And that has to be acceptable too. They're and not I think there the yet. big yeah. thing is making sure, yeah, they're not there yet. And, and even as an adult, you know, when we're trying things, it's knowing that failure in the, the kind of most base form of it is acceptable because as long as you learn from something and grow and I mean, that's, that's an overused kind of phrase, but it really is true that, as long as you've learned from something, you're yep. feeling forward. Right? Yeah, you're absolutely and right. And just reiterating that, reiterating that to the little ones once they've gotten over their tantrum. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and, and that's part of it, right? That's valid. And modeling that good behavior, modeling what you want them to to yes. to learn. Oh man, you beat me! You played a great game. Yep. Um, yep. And Consistency. We, we we always shake hands. We you know we 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 work hard to you know look our opponent in the eye and tell them congratulations mm-hmm. if they won even if we really really don't like how they won <laughs> on the inside you're <laughs> yeah so keith of your three boys um who do you think is the uh uh the sorest loser or who between the three of them has has really done the best job of handling that 
I won't name names because I know they're no, going to listen to this and they will absolutely lord that over each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but, and so let's make more abstract then. So what are some, what are, what are some of the, uh, the big challenges you've seen then um, as far as sportsmanship is concerned? Sure. No, they, I mean, I do have, I do have one, one of my children will, will relive that moment again yeah. and again and again. And, and I've, sat and talked with him afterwards and said, you know what? You lost. It's mm-hmm. okay. It's okay. It's great that you're debriefing this, that you're, uh, that you're, you're looking at it and saying, how can I do better? But don't, don't lose sleep over it. Yeah. Big deal. It's a game. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's been our biggest challenge there. Um, that's hard though. That is hard for some kids. It's hard for a lot of adults. To, <laughs> it's hard for yeah, adults. To, yeah. To keep that context of, uh, you know, the, I mean, I am passionate about this hobby, but let's take a step back. And it's what my, uh, in-laws call, you know, uh, Craig's dolls, you know, and that's uh, right. what they are. Right. <laughs> I, I push dolls around a table. Um, but, um, and that doesn't make it not important or not fun, but it, it's easy to lose perspective. It is. It is. And trying to help them understand what, why we're here. Yeah. We're, we're here to have fun. You know what? If you're not having fun, if half the time you're not having fun because you lost, then that's not good. Then yeah. you need to adjust what you're doing. And, and they're pretty good about that. I've, I've been very pleased, very impressed with their ability to get perspective on it. So, Has there been any issues, Sarah with your boys as far as them being competitive with each other? Or do they um, not really play each other? They've kind of all found their own lanes. Yes and no to kind of both respects. So they, on the whole, they do tend to have their own interests, which for the most part will keep them kind of uh, in their own lanes separate. One thing that we, um, as Keith has has discovered with his boys, we've just recently gotten our boys into doing... um, D&D role-playing games and of course that's something that the youngest wants to be a part of yeah but he doesn't really he doesn't play by the same rules that everybody else does yeah that's tough and that that adds a lot of contention between him and my eldest who you know by the end of a game will just be like well then I'm just gonna kill his character and you know just out of frustration I've seen that solution more than once (laughs) Yeah. yeah so so that's been a little bit not so much competitive amongst themselves but just trying to navigate being able to get through a game where everybody's still kind of enjoying it and not trying to take it out on each other, any of their frustrations and that sort of thing. And that's, that's been a little challenging. And I don't think we've quite come to a perfect solution on, you know, how to let the youngest play, but then still not have him completely kibosh some, you know, big game that the other two have kind of developed. So that's, that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge. Cause you, you, um, you can't lean too far one way or the other, or you're going to end up satisfying nobody. Um, so, Absolutely. Um, you know, you just got to play it by ear, I think, for lack yes. of a better word, and think back Wing on it. all the mistakes yep. you made later. <laughs> yep. Again, oh, flexibility. Yeah. Yep. 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 So um, we're going to uh, take a break here in a little bit, Sarah, and, and talk to the kids. But before we do that, is there... One or two games, and, and it doesn't have to be tabletop games or anything, that if there's um, either parents listening that don't play games with their kids um, or about to have kids or have nieces and nephews or neighbors and things like that, what are one or two games that you would recommend um, as good gateway games for children who don't really 
play board games at all or tabletop games. Is there a couple things that you would recommend them to pick up at the game store? Well, our family favorite, and we started again because it was very simple for youngins to earn or learn. And uh, I think my youngest started playing when he was about four-ish, is Suro. Um, it's a, a tile-based game where you, um, every turn, you take turns putting down a, a tile that will have a little pathway, and you have a little character that's supposed to be your dragon. And, you know, the whole idea is you want to be the last one on the board that hasn't either run off or run into opponent. And that, even now, the kids will still, because it's quick, you can it's have a, a game, game depending on how many people are playing. It's a fantastic game. It's yep. always different. We've brought it, you know, to, to friends that have wee wee little ones, and we've also played it as a bunch of adults. So it, it really has stood the test of time. And then one that we uh, just recently got into because my youngest has a just unfathomable love of unicorns right now is Unstable <laughs> Unicorns, which just, I mean, the, the pictures on the cards are absolutely adorable. It is full of ridiculousness where you can, you know, attack each other with uh, narwhals and uh, llama corns and things like oh, that. That's so it's fun. just, it's a ridiculous game and it is fantastic. <laughs> that's great. So yeah, that's, and again, it's, it's fairly quick that you can get through yep. it. How about for you, Keith? Is there a couple games you would recommend people to look at if they want to, uh, you know, introduce their kids to gaming? You know, I I like the the kids of Carcassonne and Carcassonne yep. really a lot for teaching kids, mainly because you can make them much smaller. You can downsize mm-hmm. those stacks of cards, and uh, kids just don't have the attention spans we do. So being able to play a game beginning to end in eight minutes is is a beautiful thing. Um, we do the same in our, our uh, role-playing games. We meet for 90 minutes or two and a half hours for a marathon session. Sure. And that's a great way to do it because your energy stays up the whole time. You start to see the energy flagging. You're like, this would be a good time to stop. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we just put out whatever, whatever we're playing. Uh, Dominion's another really good one for kids. The, uh, they pick up on it so fast, and yeah. and if you vet the cards beforehand, pick, <laughs> you know, don't put yeah. six attack cards out there. You're going to sure. be playing for three and a half hours. <laughs> Just give them something that they can race to the finish on. So, Keith, and I'm going to ask Sarah Ann the same question because I know, you know, you play role-playing games with your boys, and she plays role-playing games with your boys. What do you think is a good age for role-playing? Or maybe what's too young? I don't know what's too young. Um, My seven-year-old loves it. And I've played with five-year-olds who who thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Um, The, and, and we played, we played Pathfinder or we played, I, I had, my parents did foster care when I was a kid and we had seven-year-olds come in seven, 10 and 11 years old. And we played top secret with them, which is a pretty gritty game. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you look at what these kids play on their video games, I'm like, well, I'm not introducing them to violence. <laughs> so, sure. Um, and I try to play play down the the human on human killing. So that's yep. that's where the D and D and Pathfinder are better because we can go fight monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, stay away from the dark topics. Uh, they don't need to know how uh, Rise of the Rune Lords got started. How the uh, how there's a uh, uh, a half demon child um, yep. that doesn't need to come up. Sure. They just need to know there's a bad thing happening and let's go yep. fix it. Grab your swords. 
How about for you, Sarah? And if, uh, if a parent was going to say to you, you know, what's a good age for me to introduce my kid to role playing? What do you think that might be? Well, I, I think it really depends on how, how much effort you want to put into the, uh, the DMing of it yourself. We've started with our kids really, really young, but we didn't actually use a game system. So we just kind of, you know, came up with our own stories. We just had, you know, you're going to use a, a D6. That's going to be your basic for kind of everything. And we, uh, we had a babysitter that was very much into uh, the hobby as well when oh, I was cool. uh, first working. And I mean, I think Alexander was like three and they were just, again, it was completely off the cuff, sure. no formal structure to it, but it really introduced a lot of those base concepts that allowed them to kind of carry into. And it's only actually this year that we've started doing any sort of formalized, okay, now you have a character sheet. These are your stats. This is what your character can and cannot do at this stage. Right. And it, it really, it allowed that transition to be a lot more seamless because they were already aware, again, they were just, it was theater of the mind, right? They, yep. you know, whether we played with character or, um, models or not, they were already well-versed in that world and that idea of role-playing. And it didn't have to take some sort of fancy game system to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a ton of sense. So, guys, what we're going to do, we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, I'm actually going to talk to uh, one of the kids from uh, for each of these guys. And we're going to kind of get – we've got all the wisdom we want from the parents. Now we're going to talk to the real bosses and see uh, kind of w- what their perspective is on that. So we'll be right back. Hi guys and girls, ladies and gents, I'm Kevin Smith, I'm the Southwest boy living in the southeast of the UK. I contribute $18, or £13 a month to Third Floor Wars. And why? Well, I work 50 hours a week as a supermarket manager, have three children, so in my spare time, I just want to play foe. And if I can't do that, the next best thing is listening to the Third Floor Wars podcast. Not only do I hear about what I play, and the gaps in my knowledge, but I also hear about all of the cruising tactics that I need to beat and often how they've even performed in recent tournament reports. The online store has some great merchandise, including t-shirts and mugs to buy now to show your support. You should be a Patreon too. So pause this episode and go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, or grab the link in the show notes. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, want to take a moment to give a shout out to our most recent patrons, Nick Cromarty, Blair Thompson, Sean Ratner, Christopher Rue, Cody Ravicki, Nathan Howe, Brian Gresham, Max Adams, and Alec K. The only reason we're able to put out content on a regular basis is because of you and all of our other patrons. Thanks. So now that we've had a chance to talk to uh, both a mom and a dad of uh, kids that are uh, playing games, we have a real special treat because I've got two new guests. We've got Jacob and Marcus. Now, Jacob is uh, the, the son of Keith, 
and uh, you heard during the previous segment, um, has been uh, running some Pathfinder games and has played Malifaux. So, Jacob, it's good to have you, buddy. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, it's nice to be here. Good. And then our other new guest is Marcus. Marcus is uh, Sarah's son. Uh, Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Jacob, let's start with you, bud. Um, I want to get kind of an idea of the type of non-video game games you've been playing lately. Um, I do a lot of RPGs. I'm in a game of D&D 5e, and I'm running Pathfinder. Uh, and uh, we do board games every once in a while, so we just play just Dominion and other pretty simple board games. Uh-huh. Very cool. How about you, Marcus? What what games do you like to play? Um, I like to play Malifaux and a couple other board games, like D&D. And D&D? Mm-hmm. What is your favorite board game? Um, I'd say Malifaux. <laughs> All right, cool. So, Marcus, here's a question for you, buddy. Um, you know, I'm sure you also play video games, too, right? Mm-hmm. So, what... what is different about playing uh, tabletop games like Malifaux versus video games. What do you like about tabletop games? Um, well, you get to use your brain more, and you have yeah. Do you and do you and you like you like that aspect of it? Mm-hmm. How about you, Jacob? What do you like about tabletop games like RPGs and Malifaux? Um, I like it. Like um, every time you play, it's different, and video games are usually the same. A lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. So, Jacob, obviously, you know, your dad likes games. He's been playing games long before you uh, came onto the scene, right? <laughs> even before your, uh, he even met your mom. So I'd be interested, um, when did you start showing interest in the game? So do you remember when uh, you first said, you know, boy, I know dad plays these games. I wonder if I'd like to play these games. Do you remember back that far? So board games was pretty early. Like uh, I played Little Kids of Carcassonne, which was uh, Carcassonne except easier, um, mm-hmm. and that was like five years old, I think. And then once I got to seven years old, uh, I started playing Necromunda and Mordheim, which were both dead games at the time. But still, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I started playing those, and then I got into all these other games. And at nine years old, I played my first Malifaux tournament. Uh, one day lost terribly because I wasn't very experienced. And then the second day got second place. Yeah. But, and, and, and do you remember what made you want to play the games? Uh, was it just something you thought your dad was doing was cool or was there something else? So it was kind of that it was cool, but um, also it was fun. It, it, you get to l- use your brain a lot in them because you have to be really smart with what you do. Yeah. Uh, like in all the strategy games, like Necromunda and Malifaux, there's a lot of strategy that goes into them. Yeah, no question about it. How about you, Marcus? Do you remember when you started to show interest and in wanted to play these types of games? Um, I think it was once when um, my mom asked me if I wanted to go with her to um, a Malifaux game, and um, I went with her. And when I got there, I, did, I decided I liked Malifaux, so then I started playing. Very cool. And I, I do have to ask you, what faction do you play in Malifaux? Um, I play the Gremlins. And what do, you, what do you think is great about Gremlins? Why do you like Gremlins? Um, you get a lot of them, and 
you can do um, quite a lot of damage with explosives. You sure can. <laughs> uh, so who's your favorite master in uh, all of uh, Bayou? Um, maybe Ophelia. Ooh, Ophelia's cool. Now, are you pretty good at knowing how to switch out those upgrades and everything? Uh, not really, yet. <laughs> she can be tricky that way. Now, Jacob, with Malifaux, what uh, faction do you play? Uh, I play Dirty Arcanist. Um. Oh, boy. I tell, nobody <laughs> didn't tell me that. <laughs> uh, I started playing Karis recently. She's um, good. And she is awesome because she just blows everything up and lights everybody on fire. Uh, but when I first started playing Malifaux, I played uh, Perdita because yeah. uh, my dad's friend told me that she was simple and did a lot of damage, which was yep. definitely true. <laughs> yep, and she's really good in three too uh, in third edition. Mm-hmm. I've played her a couple of times. Yeah, like, yeah. No, at the, the, the tournaments that we go to, because I have all the minis painted for her mm-hmm. and not Karis yet, so. Gotcha. So, Marcus, um, question for you, bud. Uh, Now, I know, obviously, you play games with your mom and your dad and probably with uh, your brothers as well. Uh, Have you had a chance to play these types of games with people that um, aren't your family? Have you do you have any friends that you've played these games with or do you mostly just play with your brothers and your mom and your dad? I do go to um, a tournament at Jackson Queens. And And what did you think about doing that? Was it fun to play with? uh, uh, somebody other than just your brothers and your mom and your dad? Did you like playing new people? Yeah. Yeah? Um, how about you, Jacob? Have you had a chance to play with, uh, and not necessarily Malifaux, but your RPGs? Do you play with stuff outside of your brothers and your dad? So um, my friend Ayush and my friend Will, we both, like, um, my friend Will is running D&D with us, uh, and my friend Ayush just plays in both, and they've both played Malifaux before. And yeah, it's just super cool um, having them playing with us. Gotcha. Now, do you, um, uh, Jacob, uh, did you introduce these games to them or did they already f- like these games and you guys were already friends? So my friend Ayush had no ties to board games or role-playing games or any games at all. And we just introduced it to him and he liked them. So then he started playing with us. Oh, and my cool. friend... My friend Will, we found on Next Door Neighbor with like for a D and D game because we just wanted to try something new. Yeah, and now we're all great friends, and he's running for us. He already knew how to play D and D. Oh, so, so that's interesting. So you actually met a, some a new friend through gaming. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And uh, is he your age? Uh, yeah. So um, the way that we so we knew each other, um, but we didn't like really knew that know that we knew each other because <laughs> right. uh, we were in the same band class at school. And then we found each other, our next door neighbor, and started playing. And when we like met each other in real life, we just like had a moment where like I knew I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know you shared that in- same interest, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. So, Marcus, what do you think is the hardest thing about learning to play Malifaux? So, if somebody's listening and they're a cool kid like you, and uh, they want to learn Malifaux, what do you think is kind of the hardest thing to learn about Malifaux? Um. Learning how to use um, every character um, carefully. And how did you how did you get better at it? So how did you learn that? Um, just playing against um, my mom's friends and a couple of my friends. And um, you know, 
playing Malifaux, has that made you have interest in playing any other games like that, or are you pretty much just a Malifaux guy? Um, I don't really, um, like, Malifaux didn't really make me play, um, any other games. I gotcha. How about you, Jacob? What, what was hard, you know, back when you were five years old and seven and so on and so forth, what was the hardest thing about learning uh, how to play these games? So um, it was kind of about strategy of how to use your guys uh, carefully and not just like charge in and all die. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just strategy. Um, yeah. That was the hardest thing. So I'd be curious, Jacob, is there anything that your dad did that you think helped you get into these games or help you learn these games? Is there something that um, that he did that uh, you think just made that process easier? I think it was that like he put himself on our level by handicapping himself. Um, so we would have an easier time playing against him, but we would still be playing against somebody who would be trying their hardest and not just let us win. Right, right. So it, he gave himself a handicap so that he could play hard, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How about you, Marcus? Was there anything that your mom did that made learning Malifaux easier? Not go, um, like, not try as hard as she could. Yeah, so kind of like with Jacob, what Jacob's mm-hmm. dad did, which was kind of give you a chance to actually play the game as opposed to just beating you up the first time you played? Yep. <laughs> that's cool well guys i appreciate you coming on um i think it's uh really neat to know that uh guys your age are, are finding these games and it's not just us old dudes that like to play <laughs> these games um and uh, i really enjoyed my time with you and uh we'll uh go back and uh, we'll talk to your parents here for a second but um i uh really appreciate you guys taking the time and i hopefully look forward to seeing you guys at some point playing in the u.s foe tour at the championship so you guys can play me and beat me because we both know how terrible I am at this game, right? <laughs> All right, guys. So it's always interesting to get the perspective uh, from both sides of anything like this, both from, you know, in this case, from the parental side and then to get a chance to actually talk to the kids themselves. Um, uh, really enjoyed this time. Um, we're back with Keith and Sarah Ann. Um, Sarah Ann, um, is there anything that uh, you'd like to plug? Well, I would uh, really appreciate if any of the listeners would like to check out the uh, the blog that my husband and I have started. It is still a fledgling uh, a little startup. We uh, only started producing content back in January. It's jacksonthenet.com. And it, it started out where a lot of the terrain and scenery building that uh, we do for the various games that we play, we're getting a lot of questions on, well, how do you do it? And so it's just been a great way for us to kind of document our processes, our thoughts on that, and then slowly expand because we have, you know, such a wide range of uh, interests within the hobby as a whole just an opportunity for us to kind of share what we love and what we're passionate about with everyone else. 
I've been reading it, and I got to tell you, anybody who's listening um, who wants to see some really neat um, kind of phase-by-phase, step-by-step um, on terrain, um, and a lot of that terrain is scratch-built, which I think is really cool. Um, uh, that's what I've been enjoying the most, Sarah, and I'll be very anxious to see kind of where you guys go from here as you expand out, because like you said, it's young, uh, but I was impressed when you pointed me to it uh, at the quality of the content, and we'll link to the blog here in the show notes, of course. How about you, Keith? Uh, anything you want to plug? I listened to a couple of podcasts that I really enjoy. Uh, for Pathfinder, there's an actual play podcast called Glass Cannon Network, and I uh, listen to that on my commute. The uh, the other one I know, Craig, is a uh, tabletop talk. I heard <laughs> of that one. But, well, I know it, but, uh, but I really do listen to your podcast uh, a lot. That's uh, I'm glad it's it's, uh, it's a fantastic way to pass the time in the uh, in the car on the way home, and it gives me some ideas about what to try next. So okay, <laughs> thank good. you. For well, that. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, guys, I can't thank you enough. First of all, for the two of you to come on, and also for allowing your kids to come on. Um, it was uh, it was a really neat idea, and um, I think that. Um, I think that everybody um, can take away things, even if you don't have kids, um, uh, from this conversation. Because really what we're talking about is is people in the hobby. Um, uh, so for uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, for those of you that stick to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right. So I'll bring us back from the kids segment. Um, Keith, is there anything that you wanted to plug? Not not really. Okay. I mean, I've got... Nothing. I've got everything I cool. want. <laughs> cool. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll go to Sarah. That's a good to talk place about, to be. Yeah, I'll talk about her blog, and then I'll ask you if you have anything to plug. You'll say no, um, I, and then we'll close. I, I, out. I don't know. There's there's a couple of podcasts I listen to. to do a, you should uh, plug them. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then what I'm going to do, guys, at the end of this segment, I'll go to a break and say that we're going to talk to the kids. Um, we'll figure out later when that'll happen, but I'm going to then bring us back for closing. So I'm going to close with you guys. It'll give a chance for us to do plugs and things like that. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. 
Um, let's see. I, I left with you, Keith, so I'm going to start with Sarah Ann again, okay? Sounds good. Keith, I'll probably start with you because I started with Sarian last time. All right. Um, and I think I'm going to kick it off with talking about ourselves first, and then we'll migrate to the kids. So, what are things that we, as adults, find ourselves applying uh, concepts that we have and, either nurtured or picked up in gaming? And isn't this a hard one because it's been with us for so long? I know. I know. <laughs> All right, I'll bring us back. Very good, guys. Very, very good. Hey, we're hitting a stride here. I know. Yeah. And Sarah Ann, I feel bad because you have a bit of a delay, I've noticed. Um, yeah. But I think we, we've been navigating it all right, though. Um, yeah. And it'll disappear when I shift everything in post-production. Um, yes. But it makes it a little confusing. Yeah, I don't know why. why but you, it happens. <laughs> it's not like you're, you know, a thousand foot, 1,500 miles away from me. <laughs> well, just pretend that I'm on another like, content or something. <laughs> we have foreign correspondent here. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, let's see. Sarah Ann, I'm probably going to start with you, if that's all right. Absolutely. All right, good. All right, and I'll bring us back. Man, I want to meet this 10-year-old painter. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's funny because he... Uh, oh, and I think all the boys are like chomping at the bit to, you know, get involved a little bit more too. So I'm hoping once all the uh, coronavirus stuff is done, we'll, we'll actually be able to start attending some events down in the States because I know everyone's really anxious for that too. Yeah, I'm, I miss it terrible. I'll tell you, it's only, um, I'll be anxious for it to start again too. You know Cross what? our fingers. I just realized we never mentioned my mm-hmm. kids are in role playing now. So that's where oh. they've gone to. Very nice. we'll, we'll work that into a little bit later. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's been where it's taken off yeah. in the last six Oh, that's months. fantastic. That's cool. All right, I'll bring us back. So my ge- my guests are Keith Suderman and Sarah Ann Leahy. Lahai? Right? Lahai. Lahai, <laughs> hey, god damn it. <laughs> It's the damn French names. 